be back in Hebrews chapter number 11, continuing to look at the series we started last week on stories of faith, stories of faith. And so we'll be looking uh, at different stories. As I said last week, we'll be looking at Bible accounts uh, of faith, but then we'll also be looking at more modern accounts of faith of people who have uh, acted, lived, believed in the Lord and their life has been marked by it. And so we'll be looking at some of that again uh, this evening. And so uh, as I said and we'll be comparing Bible truths uh, with men and women of more recent times who stood for God and accomplished great things for because of their faith. Whenever we look in Hebrews chapter number 11, as we mentioned last week, we will find that the Bible lists both uh, people who were victorious uh, in man's eyes because of their faith, uh, but Hebrews 11 also lists those who suffered temporal loss or earthly loss uh, because of uh, their faith. Uh, but we do see in Hebrews 11 that all, uh, whether they were victorious or whether they suffered loss, uh, uh, were heroes of the faith uh, in the Savior's eyes. And so tonight I want to kind of look at this idea. Uh, oftentimes uh, when Whenever we think about faith, we think about the provision side of faith. In other words, uh, I can pray uh, and ask the Lord to meet a need, uh, and if I have faith, the Lord will meet that need. And that is true. That is faith. God does act that way, and he does answer our prayer. But there is more to faith uh, than simply a provisional faith. There is also faith uh, that enables me to serve uh, in the face of uh, of circumstances in the face of opposition. And so tonight we're going to be looking at this. Whenever we look at faith, we will consider both stories that amaze us because of God's great provision of things here on earth, but we will also consider those who suffered because and by their faith. Uh, many times we desire answered prayers. Whenever we talk about faith, we're like, yes, I wish I could have faith so that I could get those answered prayers. We think about the access uh, to the abundant supply of our Savior, and yes, uh, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. There's not a need that He can't meet. Yes, that is there. Many times when we talk about faith, we think of the miraculous healing uh, of the great physician, and He is able uh, to touch our bodies and heal our infirmities the Bible teaches us that. But oftentimes when we speak of faith, we shy away from the side of faith that deals with enduring persecution or even facing death because of our faith. But both, whether it's the amazing miraculous acts of God or standing and risking your life because of the gospel, both are associated with faith and both can render tremendous results for the cause of Christ. We love the stories of David defeating Goliath. Oh, man, who doesn't love the story of David and Goliath? What faith David had as he ran towards that giant and defeated that giant. We love the story of the little lad with the lunch that fed thousands of people. My goodness, what faith. What an amazing story. We love the story of Peter walking on the water, although he may have only walked for a little ways. We love that story of Peter stepping out on the boat and doing something that was humanly impossible. We love that story. But we tend to shy away from other stories of the faith. 
such as Stephen being stoned to death, such as Paul being imprisoned or John being beheaded. But all of these examples are stories of the faith. And so tonight we're going to be looking at this thing of both sides of the spectrum of faith. In Hebrews 11, we're going to look at verse 33 down through verse number 39. We looked at these verses a little bit last Sunday night, uh, but we'll be looking back at these verses again as we start our message this evening. Here in these verses, we see that the Bible teaches us here in the chapter that is devoted to the subject of faith, that faith which is belief in God. So whenever we speak of faith, we are talking about believing in God. And this is important to understand as we go through this. Here we see that faith or believing in God can result in either outcome. In verse number 33, in verse 32, the Bible has finished a list of people who lived by faith. And in verse number 33, it says who, speaking of the previous folks mentioned, who through faith subdued kingdoms wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. This is positive, provisional effect of faith. Then we continue there in verse number 35. It says, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had a trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. Kel asked the other day, she said, when the Bible talks about people being sawn asunder, what does that mean? And literally they would put people into hollow logs and then take saws and cut the logs in half with the people inside the logs, literally sawn in half because they believed in God. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, obtained a good report through faith. Here in this passage, we see both victory and suffering, both gain and loss, both testing and triumph, but in every example, uh, it was their faith in God that resulted in the outcome. This evening, I want us to consider that there is more to faith than answered prayer. There is more to believing in God than having the Lord meet my every need. I'm not taking away from the fact that He can meet our every need. I'm just saying there is more to faith, more to believing in God than answered in prayer. I believe that there is in true faith a motivating power that enables the Christian to make a difference for the cause of Christ regardless of the circumstances. Faith Faith is something that motivates me, it enables me, it empowers me to go forward for Christ regardless 
of the circumstance, if it seems that a ministry can't go forward because of a financial need, faith enables me to press on anyway. If it seems that, that as, as George Mueller, who we may look at in depth a little later on, who needed food on the table for the orphans and God was able to provide the food that God might be glorified, we know that faith enabled Brother Mueller to keep moving forward. We know that we've often said that where God guides, He provides. And if the Lord is leading, He is able. And faith enables me to go on when the, when the accounting doesn't add up, whenever the figures doesn't add up. Believing that I have a God who is able to do the impossible enables me to keep going. Amen. Faith is that power that motivates me. But at the same time, if because of your service to the Lord you're being threatened with physical death or injury or imprisonment or as in Paul's case or Stephen's case stoning or John's case beheading, faith enables me to press on because I know that whether I live or die, He is glorified. Faith is more than answered prayer. Faith is belief in God to such an extent that I go on serving, trusting that He is in control and whatever happens, He will take care of it. And He will be glorified. Let's pray, then we'll continue in the message. Father, we thank You for this day. Lord, I thank you for this thing of faith. And Lord, I know that, Lord, we love to think of faith. And Lord, we, we love to think of how you can provide. And Lord, I'm so thankful that you can and that you do. And Lord, over and over and over again, Lord, you have shown that you take care of your people. And Father, I thank you for that. But Lord, I pray as we look at this lesson that, Father, we will see that faith is not some sort of mysterious power that grants us our wishes. But Father, it is is a belief in you, in your ability, and Father, a belief in the cause of Christ and in the gospel that enables us to serve even when everything isn't going the way we would like it to. And Father, I pray that through this lesson, Lord, you will give us a stability. Lord, to serve you. Lord, as we look at the situation of the world around us, as we look at the truth of your word, Father, we know that as you tarry your coming, things will get worse and worse and worse. And Father, I pray that we will learn from this lesson that, Father, through our belief in you, we can continue serving you even in the face of adversity. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Bless now as we look at your word and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. As I've already mentioned, there is in Christianity oftentimes a common misconception. Matter of fact, entire denominations have been built on this common misconception concerning faith. There are those who believe that faith will always result in a positive outcome. Matter of fact, there have been many who have left Christianity or have struggled within themselves concerning God and His Word because of an unanswered prayer. Right. 
There have been those who said that because this prayer was not answered the way they felt that it should be answered, that either they themselves were lacking in faith or God did not make good on his promise. What has happened is neither that they were lacking in faith or that God didn't make good on his promise. What has happened is they misunderstood faith. That is what happened. Because yes, God is able to heal the sick, but God doesn't always heal the sick. The Apostle Paul prayed over people and we saw them healed and yet the Apostle Paul was afflicted with a physical ailment many believe was his eyesight. That was never healed. We also read of Apostle Paul instructing one of his fellow laborers to go take some medicine for their health instead of trusting that God would heal them. Just because God is able to heal doesn't mean that he always heals. Whenever we look at Apostle Paul, the Bible says that Paul prayed three times that the Lord would take away this physical ailment, this thorn in the flesh and the Lord told him, my grace is sufficient for thee. In other words, Paul, the Lord was telling Paul we can get more glory, we can affect more people, we can do more for the cause of Christ with the thorn in the flesh than we can do without it. And Paul went on and served the Lord because of his faith. In other words, because he believed that God knew what was best. And because he believed that God knew what was best, he was able to go on and serve God even with his infirmity. Many people have questioned God and said, what's the matter Perhaps a loved one passed away. Perhaps a sickness was unable to be cured. Uh, Perhaps a financial need closed a door that they felt was the door they should go through. Uh, Many times these people who's experienced these things feel that somehow there must be something wrong with their Christianity because they're not getting regular positive results. But this is a misconception of the Word of God. Because the Bible doesn't teach that through faith we will be able to avoid all trials. No, the Bible teaches that if we believe God is able to provide, we are putting our trust in the one who can provide. But we also believe that he knows what is best and we believe in him. And I don't even know if I can convey how this is in my heart. If we believe in God, We believe in the cause of Christ to the point that if the prayer being unanswered, if me passing away furthers the gospel, then I would rather pass away. I may be praying, Lord, I ask that you heal me of this sickness. I pray you restore my health and there's nothing wrong with me asking for the Lord to do that, but I am so convinced and such a believer in the power of the gospel that if God chooses to let me pass in that moment, I'm completely satisfied. I'm completely at peace. I am at 100% at rest with God because I believe in Him and in his cause and this life isn't about me. This life is about him and I believe in God and the only thing 
thing that can enable someone to enter these trials, to come to a place of death for their, for their belief. The only thing that they can get them there is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Believing that what he said is true to the point that I'm happy to die. If that means souls will come to the Savior. You know, there's many who preach, and they preach correctly, but sometimes I feel they don't preach thoroughly. They preach that all you must do to be saved is believe. And they preach correctly, because that's all you have to do to be saved is believe. But it's far more than just a mental assent that Jesus was a real person. It's far more than just a mental assent that someone told you that Jesus died for you and you're like, sure, I believe that. No, when we say that belief is what's required for salvation, that means that I am 100% absolutely convinced beyond any doubt that what is in this book is the only thing that matters and I am willing to live or die whatever it takes. I believe this book. That is saving faith. That is saving faith. We see here that many, though, have misconceived what faith is. Faith is believing God, believing that He is in control, trusting completely that He will do what is best and living for Him regardless of the outcome because we believe in His capability to do what is best. Whether that means he supply our need or if that means that we suffer loss. I am 100% convinced that he will do what is best. We see this spirit of faith illustrated in the scripture. I've got a couple of examples for you from the scripture. In the book of Esther, we see the example of Esther. In chapter 4, verse number 16, Esther sends word to Mordecai. Of course, we know that Haman is uh, seeking to kill the Jews, and uh, uh, Mordecai has found out about this. Mordecai sends word to Esther that Esther needs to go before the king. Esther communicates that if I go before the king, I should die. Mordecai says, well, perhaps that's why you're there. Somebody needs to go to the king about this. After much prayer, Esther concludes that going before the king is the right thing to do. Now, don't miss that. After much prayer, Esther concludes that going before the king is the right thing to do. Many times we as humans tend to act rashly on our own, and when you're acting rashly on your own, you don't always have the guarantee of the Lord's protection. After much prayer, Esther concluded that going before the king was the right thing to do. However, Esther understood the seriousness of what she was about to do and she understood that although she felt that going before the king was the right thing to do, that there was a very big likelihood that this would be the last thing she ever did. Very big likelihood that she would lose her life. Yes, Mordecai, I'll go before the king. I agree with you. This is what God would have me to do. I'm going to do it. I'll get the message to the king but Mordecai I want you to know very big likelihood that I'm going to die. But we see there in verse number 16 uh, that Esther left the outcome in God's hands with these words and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai I've become convinced that you're right. This is what needs to happen. 
I'm going to do it. If I live or if I die, if it results in God's people being delivered, I'm willing to do it. This is what needs to be done. Esther was not putting a clause on God and saying, I've got faith that I can go before the king and he's not going to touch me. No, she said, I've got faith that somebody needs to talk to the king about God's people and I'm going. And if God lets me live, I trust that God did what was right. If I lose my life before, because of this, I trust that God allowed what was right. right. I'm going to do what God has called me Amen. to do. Another example that we see is in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In the book of Daniel, we read of the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're standing before the king because they've refused to worship his image. He built an image, he put it up, sound of music, everybody's going to fall down and worship. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just stood there while the whole nation bowed. Word came to the king. There's three men refusing to bow to your image. What are you going to do about them? The king called them in. Why won't you bow to my image? Well, I'll, I'll give you a second chance. They're like, no, no need for a second chance. We're not going to bow to your image. Not going to do it. The king becomes angry, becomes furious with them because they're rebelling against him and what he's asked. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cast you into a furnace of fire. And what is your God going to do then? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with complete faith in God said, O king, our God is able to deliver us out of the fire. Yeah. Absolutely no question, absolutely no hesitation. Might seem like a big thing to you, nothing for our God. Our God is 100% capable of delivering us out of that fire. We have no doubt about the ability of our God. We have no doubt about what He is capable of doing. We have no, we understand that there is no limit to His power. Getting us out of the fire is a very small thing, King. We are not at all doubting our God's ability. But, King, we want to let you know something. If our God chooses to let us burn up in the fire, that's good with us. Yeah. Our God is able to deliver us. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, we will not bow to your image. Right. This is an example of faith. Amen. Many times we like the faith of I've prayed and I can go before the king because God's going to protect me. We like the faith. I can stand up. I can stand and resist what the king is asking me to do because God's going to protect me from the fire. But that's not always how it works out. And these two examples said, looky here, looky here. I am willing to do what God wants me to do whether I live or whether I die. The cause is my father and I am going to do what he wants me to do and trust that whatever happens, he will do what is best. You see, the reason that oftentimes we struggle with, but, 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 but what, if they, what if they die? We struggle with that. It's because we have a temporal mindset. Yeah. And we feel that the worst thing that could happen would be for our life here on earth to end. Now, we don't like to admit that that's what we think, but the way that we fight death, I'm pretty sure it's what we think. Right. Yeah. 
that for my temporal life to end is the worst thing that happens. But whenever I get an eternal mindset, Paul said for me to, for me to, uh, I can't quote the verse, for me to, for me to live is to Christ, but to die is gain. Paul said, I, I have a desire to go and be with the Lord. I know it's better if I stay here right now, but I, I want to get out of here. Whenever you have an eternal mindset, uh, it becomes a whole lot easier to say, uh, if the Lord spares my life, good. If he can get more glory by taking my life, good. Because this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I'm not staying here. This is not where I want to be. I'm just a pilgrim. I'm passing through and belief in God assures me that if it is best for my temporal life to end, I have no worry, I have no fear because I believe the book. Those that say they believe the book but they're scared to death to leave this world makes me wonder if they believe the book. Faith says, whatever you want, Lord. If you need me to stay in this world that's falling apart and breaking at the seams I'm willing to stay but Lord if you can spread the gospel and let me come live with you I'm good with that too that's real faith we see that Esther said either way if I perish I perish Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego said but if not we're still going to do what God has called us to do a third example following God regardless of the outcome that I want to share with you is from a more modern time, at least more modern than Bible times. I want us to consider an early reformer by the name of John Huss. John Huss. Many of you may have heard of John Huss. John Huss was born in the year 1369. He died in 1415, a short life of 46 years. That's how old I am now. I was 46 years old. John Huss died at the age of 46. But John Huss, and actually John Huss's ministry, as we'll see in just a moment, was from 1403 to 1415, a ministry of about 12 years is all that John Huss was able to minister. But his life was a life that was used mightily of God. John Huss made a difference and impacted the lives, as we will see, of hundreds of people because he had absolute belief in the Word of God. And that belief empowered him to stand for truth even in the face of adversity. Now, I'm going to do something a little different. I don't know if we'll do this every time, but I have here a book. It's entitled Outsiders, and it's just short uh, biographies about a lot of great men of the faith. It's a great book if you enjoy reading. I encourage you to get it and uh, read through it. But in this book, it's got the story of John Huss. And I'm just going to read from the book. It's story time. I'm just going to read the story to you. I've, I've kind of marked, highlighted through it. I'm not, definitely not going to read it all to you, but just to give you a glimpse of John Huss and the life that he lived, the sacrifice that he made, and see this picture. In both of the examples that we looked at from the Bible, Esther said, either way, I'm doing it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, either way. But both of them were victorious. As we look at this example of John Huss, we'll see that not always does it end that way, as also we see in Hebrews 11. 
It says here, John Huss was born in Bohemia, this is modern Czech Republic, in 1369. He was born to a poor family in a village, uh, I can't say the name of his village, but it means Goose Town, and from which he later took his own last name, Huss, which means Goose. He was raised in the Church of Rome. He learned there that salvation is obtained through works, that prayer should be made to statues and saints, and that church tradition rather than scripture was the supreme authority for faith and practice. As a young man, Huss enrolled in the University of Prague with the intention of becoming a priest. By his own account, his plans for the priesthood were motivated from wanting to better his station in life rather than because of a love for God or a desire to serve him. At the university, Huss studied theology and earned bachelor's and master's degrees as well as a doctorate. He became an ordained priest in 1400. But there at the university, Huss discovered the truth of the gospel. In 1402, Huss was appointed the rector of the University of Prague as well as the preacher for the Bethlehem Chapel in the city. The name chapel is misleading for this building was the most popular church in one of Europe's largest cities, seating 3,000 people. The newly appointed Huss began preaching in Czech rather than Latin and passionately and clearly explained the doctrine of salvation by grace as well as the truth that the Bible must be our authority for doctrine and that Christ is the head of the church. Because of this preaching, the chapel filled to capacity twice a day. However, Huss's bold preaching didn't escape the notice of the authorities. But that didn't stop Huss. As a counter move, the Pope issued an order that Huss and anyone subscribing to his doctrine be excommunicated. Because of this, Huss returned to his hometown where he continued to preach and began writing. In late 1414... Huss was called to stand trial at the Council of Constance. He arrived in Constance on November the 3rd, 1414. He was imprisoned on November 28th. For over five months, Huss sat in the underground dungeon of a monastery in a cold, dark cell next to the sewer, always hungry and mostly in poor health. Huss privately and faithfully continued to live out his commitment to Christ. When Huss stood at trial... His accusers recited their grievances against him. In his response, he explained that he appealed to Christ, who was a judge higher than the Pope. As he spoke, they mocked him and condemned him to be burned. Huss was led to the stake where he was chained to it. Again, he spoke of Christ and expressed willingness to follow him. My Lord Jesus Christ was bound with a harder chain than this one for my sake. So why should I be ashamed of this rusty chain? They piled sticks around him and made an effort to get him to recant. No, he responded, I never preached any doctrine that was evil, and what I taught with my lips I now seal with my blood. As the executioner lit the fire, Huss began singing, which he continued to do until the flames took his life. The news of Huss' death spread quickly to Bohemia where he was loved and revered. Indeed, martyring Huss was a poor decision by the council. Yeah. Why is this? Because he died in faith. 
It said it proved to fan the flames of the gospel. The preachers, Huss, had trained, continued preaching, leading people to Christ, discipling them, training them to do the same. What became known as the Hussite movement following his death spread rapidly, including uh, to neighboring Moravia. The Bohemian brethren, Moravian brethren, persisted in the spread of the gospel through severe persecution. Today they are remembered as some of the earliest gospel missionaries. Four centuries... After Huss's death, they were not only still in existence, but were leaders in one of the greatest missionary movements of history, taking the gospel to places around the world, including the Caribbean, North and South America, the Arctic, Africa, and the Far East. If John Huss could have known what flames the Holy Spirit would kindle through his martyrdom, he wouldn't have done anything differently. We have a slide that has the counsel that John Huss gave to his followers just before his death. The next slide there. He said these words to his followers. He said, Therefore, faithful Christian, seek the truth. Listen to the truth. Learn the truth. Love the truth. Tell the truth. Defend the truth even to death. John Huss was a man who his faith took him to be burnt at the stake. He wasn't delivered from the stake. He said, I found the truth of the word of God, and I believe it, and I'm going to proclaim it. And if it means that they burn me at the stake, whatever he wants is what I want. I'm going to proclaim his word. And because of his faith, what did John Huss want? John Huss wanted the gospel to spread. John Huss wanted the Bohemian people to hear the gospel. He wanted the Moravian people to hear the gospel. He wanted to get the gospel out, but he was one man. There was only so much he could do. But he sold himself out entirely to God because of his belief in the word of God. And he said, I'm going to give everything I've got. And God said, the way that I can reach the world the most effectively, John to burn you at the stake. And John said, whatever you want, Lord. And they lit the fire. And John began to sing. John wasn't singing as mockery to his, those that were burning him at the stake. He wasn't singing as some show of great human strength. No, John Huss was singing because he was worshiping the God in heaven. He was lifting his arms in faith. God, I believe that this is your will. I believe that you're going to be glorified. I believe that you'll take my death and use it for your glory. It was a faith that was able to be acted on. It was a faith that made a difference. John Huss, like many examples we find in Scripture, had a faith that empowered him to stand in the face of adversity. He had a faith that gave him strength to preach the truth, even when it was at the risk of losing his own life. And because of this intense faith to obey God and His will, 
God used the testimony of John Huss's death to ignite a reformation movement as we just saw that lasted over 400 years because he allowed God to use him. Whenever we look at faith, we're all interested in a providing faith. We like that providing faith. We're interested in it. And we do serve a God that provides. I'm not trying to take away from that. But tonight my question is, where do we stand in regard to persevering faith? We have lived in a blessed economy. We have lived in a blessed world. Matter of fact, the things we complain about People around the world have been dealing with much worse for much longer. We live in a very blessed society. We've been spoiled to the point that we link blessings with material things. And we've lost the understanding that Christianity isn't about material things. Christianity is about eternal things. And material things don't matter. And I truly believe if the Lord tarries is coming and I do know that I serve a God of great mercy and I do know the reason he hasn't came yet is because of his mercy and because he's extending his offer of salvation. And so although I feel like he could come today and he very well may, I also believe that there's a chance he's going to continue extending his hand of mercy and as long as he extends his hand of mercy, this world is going to continually get worse and worse and worse turning their back on God and the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ are going to become more and more and more the target of those that are going away from God and our life if the Lord tarries is coming is going to become less and less and less about material things as we continue to serve Christ. Up to this point we've been focused on prospering faith. But I believe there's coming a time when we're going to start needing to rely on persevering faith. The Bible says in the last days there'll be a great falling away. And I believe the reason for that falling away is because people don't know anything about persevering faith. And whenever they realize that the blessings have stopped because they're a Christian, they're going to stop being a Christian in pursuit of material things. We're all excited about prospering and providing faith, but where are we in regard to persevering faith? I need to examine myself. We need to examine ourselves and ask ourselves this question. Is my belief in God strong enough to continue living for Him, even if it means I might lose my life? Oh, we talk about it sometimes. You know, what would you do if somebody stuck a gun to your head and asked you to turn your back on Christ? When it gets real, it's different. When it gets real, it's different. Where are we when it comes to persevering faith? Are we willing to keep serving Christ even if it means risking our life? Really, I think that's the easy one. Am I so convinced of the hope of the gospel Am I so convinced that the only hope for mankind is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I so burdened for the souls of men that I'm willing to share the gospel even if it means I might lose my life for doing so? Where am I at 
when it comes to persevering faith. You see, faith is believing God. You know what? If the Lord lays on our heart to start a ministry or to to do something, we say that we're going to step out in faith, believing that God will provide. My God is able. And if I believe that it's what God wants me to do, then I can step out fully confident that He'll provide the need 100%. But I also believe God that if sharing the gospel means I might lose my life, but God wants me to share the gospel, then I'm going to share the gospel knowing that if I lose my life, God is going to use that to continue to spread the gospel and He will be glorified. Faith is believing God. Where are we when it comes to believing God? Do we truly believe that He's in control? Whatever He chooses, He's going to do what is best. Let's pray. Father... Lord, I thank you for this day. And Lord, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, we can trust that you're in control. We can trust that you will do what is right. We can trust uh, that, Father, whatever takes place, uh, Lord, you are well in control. And, Father, I thank you, Lord, that we can just simply rest in you. Father, I thank you that when we're serving you, Lord, there is always a hope uh, of a better tomorrow. And, Father, I thank you that we serve a God, Lord, who has promised uh, to take care of us. Father, and, Lord, we look forward to the day when we can be in eternity with you. Father, Lord, as we continue to go through our life here on this earth day by day, oh Lord, and seeing all that's going on in this world, Father, help us to remember, uh, Lord, that our job while we're here on earth uh, is to tell this lost and dying world uh, of the hope of the gospel. And Father, Lord, I pray uh, that you will help us to get our eyes off of material things and get our eyes off of, uh, Lord, the things that don't matter. And Lord, to get our focus uh, on spreading the gospel and Lord, telling folks uh, about you. Father, I pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Be with us we go throughout this week. I pray to our Father that you'll give us opportunity to tell someone about you. And Father, we see someone come to know you as Savior. Father, I pray. Thank you for your goodness. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.